not hard to transition from a lot of that. We certainly lift up them and others that are difficult, having difficulties. And um, I know there's a lot of prayer items out there that from this family that uh, Susan and I, Susan and I, and I know a lot of you are committed to praying for each and every every day and each and every week, and and uh, certainly lift that up. But um, Anyway, uh, this here is uh, probably been around a long time, probably some spin-off of a David Letterman's top ten list, but I think it's it's the teenager, it's the college student, it's the um, young person somehow who created a top ten list of his own on why he didn't need to take a bath any longer. So here is the top ten of why this fellow didn't need to take a bath. Number one. I was forced to take a bath as a child. Number two, people who take baths are hypocrites. They think that they're cleaner cleaner than everybody else. Number three, there are so many different kinds of soap, I can never decide which one to use. Number four, I used to take baths, but it got boring. Number five, I only take baths on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. None of my friends take a bath. (laughs) I'll start taking a bath, number seven, when I get older. Number eight, I really don't have time to take a bath. Nine, the bathroom is just not friendly. And number 10, people who make you take a bath are only after your money. <laughs> well, you know what that, that that's not what it's talking about, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're smart enough to know that. It's just some preacher's way of saying that, that you ought to go to church and that, that that's the list of excuses people give for not going, right? Um, so I'll let you translate those. But uh, George Barna actually regularly takes a poll on how many people in the United States go to church. And it's interesting to compare those numbers year after year. And by the way, uh, about 73% of all people within the United States claim to be Christians. And that number is actually down about 10%. It used to be 83% about 20 years ago. But out of that percentage, if you kind of go down through the years and you look at all of how it goes, in 1991, 49% of all of adults in America went to church. And by that, they meant somewhat regularly. Uh, by 2000, by the year 2000, that figure did, fell down to 40%, and, and you can kind of see how it just kind of declines a little bit until about 2016. The figure is about 31% of, a, percent of adults going to church on Sunday morning. And now it, it's not really a surprise to learn that church attendance is declining by generation. In fact, one statistic says that about 60% of people over the age of 65 go to church regularly, but only 22% of people between the ages of 18 and 30. But what's interesting in Barna's study is that, and I I just kind of immersed myself in this, I wish I could just sit down and just talk about all of this uh, this, this today, but but uh, we just don't have time. But what's interesting, though, in Barna's study is that that he found a significant difference in church attendance between those who went to church as a child and those who did not go to church as a child. In fact, 61% of those who went to church as a child st- 
still go to church today. But if you didn't go to church as, as a child, 75% of them stay away from the church. And, and, and the point is really simple. I mean, childhood church attendance, I think, says something to us about, it says a lot about lifetime habits. Now, I'm, that's not to say that going to church is the same as worship. I mean, they're not necessarily the same. And I'm not suggesting that just merely being inside of a church building necessarily changes anything. But what I am doing is I'm making a claim out of Psalm 122, and I invite you to look there, to start to look there, Psalm 22, and that is that when you do worship, this is really what I want to focus on, when you do worship, that changes your whole perspective on things. When you go to worship, when you worship God, that changes your, your perspective on life changes. When you regularly find yourself in God's presence as a body of people, with other people in worship, with other folks in worship, it changes how you feel about things. In fact, let's look at Psalm 122. Psalm 122 says, I rejoiced, I was uh, glad, in other words. I, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There, there the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. Remember where we are. We're in the Psalms of Ascent, the songs that were sung on the journey toward Jerusalem. They're making their way from, from Meshach, those harsh, those difficult places, making their way to Jerusalem where the throne of God was, where the, it was the city of David. It was where they would enter into God's holy city, into that holy place, into the temple where worship had occurred for generations after generation after generation. They're making their way. They're making that journey. And he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house. Let us go to the house of the Lord. It's not 7.30 on a Sunday morning and you're trying to make up your mind whether or not you're going to make the journey. This is weeks and weeks in advance as you're getting ready to, to pull things together in order to make that long journey toward Jerusalem. And, and the perspective is, is, is this, and, and here's the first point. I would rather be in Jerusalem than any place else. I would rather be here than anywhere. That is the perspective that changes. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Is that true for you? Now understand on the journey to Jerusalem, when you got there, this, this little city, there, which really wasn't all that big. 
when you think about it, especially in the days of David and, and, and shortly thereafter. It's just, there would literally be thousands of travelers who had, well, the text says compacted together. They, they, they were tightly compacted together. They had come together to the city to be around the temple and, and maybe as many as a half million people. They've crowded into the city and, and, it, it, and it's crowded and it's, it's it, well, you just got done spending a week or two on the journey, on, on the road walking and, and, and you're in the dust. There's dust in, on the road and you've been sweating and you kind of get, get my drift here, that, that thing about taking a bath. And the city is crowded and the people are sweaty and it kind of smells. And they came from all over Judea and various areas of the world. And when you, when you read in Acts chapter 2, you know, they came from like 12 different nations. You think about that. I mean, they, they're talking a bunch of different languages and things. And, and you know, nobody is making sense to anyone. But here they are, and here's their song. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Well, why? Was it because it was some sort of com- it was so comfy and air conditioning was turned on and everybody was doing exactly what they wanted to do? No. Because it was the place to be. And they would rather be there than any place else. And so I'm asking week after week, is going to worship, is that a priority for us? Is it something that dominates your life? And frankly, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But I, 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 and, and realistically, I'm thank you, thanking you. I'm, I'm encouraging you and hopefully reminding you of the importance of why we're here. And, and wondering, you know, kind of to myself, you know, where, where's the rest of the world who, who didn't get up this morning and say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. See, the, the perspective that changes is this. That's really what I want to do. I'd rather be here than any place else. At least that's the perspective of the psalmist who in, in his journey he says, this is what, where I want to be, and who, who makes preparation to, to come to the house of the Lord and to be wherever God desires to, him to be, which is the place of worship. Well, there's actually another, there's another perspective here that changes if you look at verses 3 and, verse three and following. And it, it says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That, that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. The perspective here, I'd rather be with these people than anyone else. This is where the tribes of the Lord gather. I mean, I want you, can you imagine that journey? Think about that. You you, you put yourself in Palestine and you think about the journey that they were doing. This is, this is, uh, um, they're coming from all over Israel. There'd be a few from this village and from that village and from a Few, uh, a few from another village making the journey, and, and they'd be walking down this road, and they, they'd just kind of be going along and heading up, you know, Songs of Ascent, if you remember, heading up toward Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, and they'd reach a fork in the road. 
And then they kind of collect a few more people there. Just be a handful of people walking together and start grabbing a couple people. And then they walk for a little longer and they keep walking on that road. And as they're moving on that road, then you have another handful of people. Now you've got a couple of dozen. You've got, and as they go, the crowds keep getting bigger and they keep getting bigger. And, and, uh, and, and they'd be walking and walking and, and pretty soon you... They've got this mass of people that are going down to the, the road to, to Jerusalem. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. More conversation. They're talking together. And, but more people they don't know. I mean, they don't all know all these people. And, and, but you can almost see it, can't you? I mean, somebody's saying, hey, who are those guys over there? Oh, those are the Ephraimites. Those are them. Oh, you know, um, from the other side of the Jordan? Yeah, that's where they're from. What are they doing here? Well... But by the time they get together and they get to Jerusalem and they come into the presence of the Lord, do you know what's going to have happened? You know what's going to have have happened? They are going to come to grips with the fact that these are the tribes of the Lord. And here's the perspective. I would rather be with these people than anybody else. Why? Because they're in the presence of the Lord. I remember being, being, in, being in Bible college. Uh, I was on the summer sing, singing team uh, in the summer of 1988 for Minnesota Bible College. And I remember uh, we had, basically we were a camp team. So we went to a lot of camps and, and stuff throughout the summer. Twelve weeks of camp. And um, we had, I, I think they called it Hell Week. Did they call it Hell Week? Um, prior to getting up to, to going out and, and getting in a van and just doing a lot of traveling and spending weeks on the road and weeks in camps and weeks, I mean, we spent a whole week of just 8 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night just coming up with, I mean, practicing songs and getting them all perfect and practicing skits and, and, and going through Bible studies and going through it. It was just kind of intense and everything else, but we went through all that. But about, right about in the middle of that, we'd been to, already been to about eight weeks of camp, and they said, you know what? Actually, they worked it out into our schedule, but they threw it on us. Hey, by the way, we're going to take a week off. Um, we're going to the East Coast. And part of, the, part of the reason also for the camp team is that we were supposed to go to different various churches. We did that as well, not just camps, but on the weekends we'd be in churches. We'd be, doing, we'd be doing a lot of uh, revival kind of things and so on. And we were going to go to the East Coast, and we were going to meet some of those churches who had been supporters of the college because they'd been, you know, they somehow had a connection. And so we wanted to, to connect with some of those, those individuals in those churches who had had a connection with the college and stuff. So, um, But anyway, um, but we went out to the East Coast, and, and we decided that, you know, while we were out there, um, well, that was a plan before we started, but we decided, you know, when we were out there, that we would go and we visit the ocean. We wanted to go and do some swimming in the Atlantic. That was a blast. I can't, I can't begin to tell you. But, but one day we woke up. We'd been staying with a family in Fork, Maryland, and, and I know his name was Dave. And for for the long, it's interesting how you remember some of these facts. We were in Fork, Maryland, and we went from there. We went to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and to the beach there. And I'll, I'll just never forget it. Um, it was like it was yesterday. I was wearing this t-shirt, t-shirt, Minnesota Bible College, it said on it. And we were out on the beach, and I just, I don't know, I was going up to go get something, a snack or something up at the pavilion or on this beach, and all of a sudden this one guy goes, Hey, Minnesota Bible College! 
we're at least 26, 28 hours away from Minnesota Bible College. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Would that happen to be the Minnesota Bible College from Rochester, Minnesota? Are you part of this restoration movement? And it's like, well, yeah. Well, come on, come on. And we, we sat down and we ate together. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like, um, here's this guy um, who knew the college, had attended the college uh, some years early, and it was like, he's one of us. He's, he's like, I, I knew this guy, right? It was like, well, I didn't know him, but you know what I mean, right? I mean, it's like, we have something in common. We share something together. And it was, it was just amazing to be able to have this conversation with this guy so far away from home and just somehow to connect with him because we had something in common. TCM International, anybody heard of TCM International? They are a, just Susan, they are a ministry uh, based out of Indianapolis, and uh, they are devoted to the, the TCM, Taking Christ to the Millions. It's a, um, that's what the letters stand for. And they, they actually believe that the most effective way to do that is to um, train Christians for ministry. So they got another play on those, that, those letters, TCM. Taking Christ to the millions, and the way we want to do that is to train Christians for ministry. And, and one of the main teaching facilities is in Vienna, Austria. Vienna, Austria. And uh, the place is called House Edelweiss. You heard of that? Maybe you've not heard of TCM, but maybe House Edelweiss. And it's a place where I know a lot of the college, uh, college professors where when I was going to, to Lincoln uh, Christian Seminary, they, uh, some of those college professors and places from, from Crossroads College, and that would, they, would, they would actually go to Austria and they would teach. And what they did is, uh, in, the, in the very beginnings, I know now they do some online stuff, but in the very beginnings they had people from all over Eastern Europe that would come and they would, they would travel, literally travel. Um, they would carpool, they would get in together and they would move and because, to, to go to these weeks or weekends of things, people who are, are Christian leaders within their countries, within various towns and things like that, but they would head to Vienna, Austria, to House Edelweiss, and in order to, to get this training for Christian ministry and, 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 you know, Christian leaders from over maybe 40 different nations who would make their way to receive this Bible ed- education. And these are, these are students from places like Germany, Germany and Romania and Hungary and Poland and, 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 and Russia and, and all over Eastern Europe, some of whom, again, they, they get in the car, they travel together, they carpool, and they spend several hours together on their way to House Edelweiss. Now I tell you that, and you're just kind of like, okay, yeah. See, what TCM does is they come alongside of these Christian leaders who are leading in their own countries, have passion for reaching people for Jesus. But you think about the historical nature of what I just said. These are, many of these people are not really good friends. These are people from various Eastern European communist countries who have been at war with each other for years, for generations. <laughs> but when these leaders come together at House Edelweiss, something happens to all of that animosity that they've historically had. Do you know what it is?
this table. The Lord's Supper. Because when we gather together for worship on Sunday and we drink from the same cup, these people find themselves face to face with someone who has been, an, not with somebody who's been an enemy for generations, but someone who is from the tribes of the Lord, who's Christian. And it all disappears. And, and they find themselves saying, I would rather be with these people than anybody else because these are the tribes of the Lord. And, and so I, I think the natural question of that is, is that who would you rather be with? See, when I compare the, when I compare the world to the church, I, I realize that you and I have more in common with each other than we do with, the others, with others who are out there, Right? And I would rather be with you than anyone else because of this table. And if that table cannot break down the, the differences that we have, then we're not coming to the table for worship. There's something that's in the way. But did you hear it? These, these people come because this is the statute of the Lord. Verse number uh, verse number four says, the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the, to, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. You know, I mean, if you don't feel like coming to worship, and sometimes we don't, do we? I mean, sometimes you ever get up and just kind of go, I just don't feel like going today. Come because of the statute of the Lord. Come because it's the right thing to do. Come because it's the command of God to come into His presence and to Worship. See, here's the truth. The more I come to worship, the more I come into His presence, the more that I want to do just that, to be in His presence. And I want to be with godly Christian people who likewise want to be in His presence. I would rather be here than anywhere else, the psalmist says. Even if I have to journey for weeks, in order to be here. Well, there's this perspective that changes. Not only would I rather be in this place than any place else, not only would I rather be with these people than anyone else, I would rather be doing these things than anything else. You heard it, verse number six. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Do you hear that determination in, that, in those verses there? I will do that which produces peace. I will do that which produces security. I will do that which brings prosperity, prosperity, to the house of the Lord, I'd rather do those things than anything else. I mean, you can imagine this here, can't you? I mean, coming to Jerusalem, you're coming there, you're, 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 you're uh, coming to the city, you're entering into those fortified walls, seeing the towers on the corners, coming in from the journey where it's just been dangerous and you've, you've, you, we've traveled among thieves, according to Psalm 120, and, and now we come into the security of these, this city, and, and, and he prays for the peace of Jerusalem. 
Pray for the security, the prosperity of the city. That's what he says. Pray for those things. I mean, but you can imagine. You can imagine this psalm, can't you? After the Babylonian exile. I mean, after 70 years of being locked up in, uh, in Babylon and the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and, and, and are in shambles and the temple has been destroyed. And, and then after those 70 years, you've got a guy like by the name of Ezra who's gone back and he's begun to rebuild that temple under Zerubbabel. And, and, and then Nehemiah has found out that the walls are broken down and he's, he's, he's got permission from Artaxerxes the king and to go and to rebuild those walls. And they, and they get together and they rebuild and, and literally they rebuild the walls of the city in about 435 B.C. And now these pilgrims journey to the city and, and now they're coming to this rebuilt Jerusalem and they're saying, I'm going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm going to pray for the security of Jerusalem. And every year as they come to the journey, they see the walls, they see them coming up, and they just get excited about being there and doing the things that make for peace and prosperity. But the problem is, <laughs> that's really not at all what the psalmist had in mind. Well, at least not in God's mind. Because he understood that it would not be the walls of the city that provided peace. But there would be one. Isaiah said this. There would be one who came to Jerusalem whose name was Prince of Peace. And he would provide genuine peace and security. And he himself said to his disciples who thought that Jerusalem was the place and that the temple was the building. By the way, he says, there's not going to be one stone left in this building standing, you know, by, the, by, by this time, by, by the time this thing is all over. It's all going to be torn down. What are you talking about? Well, 70 A.D., the Romans came in under uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and, and, and others absolutely ransacked the place and it was all over, and it has never been the same. So what does he mean that I will seek the prosperity of the city, that I'll seek the peace of Jerusalem? Well, it, it, it probably wouldn't hurt us to pray for peace in Jerusalem. I mean, they, I mean, literally, they need it. But see, that's not the issue. The issue is the one who came bringing real peace and, and, and eternal security his concern is, is for his family and for his friends to come into a relationship with God in which there is peace and security. In a relationship with God. See, this is not about journeying so much to a place. Jerusalem was nothing more, nothing different than any other city on the face of the earth except for one minor detail. God was there. Other than that, just a city. And so the journey isn't to a place. The journey is to a person. The journey is to the place where God dwells. And, and, and that's where they're, they're headed, is into His presence. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I want to go to His presence. I want to go in and worship Him. I want to praise Him. He said, I will do whatever is necessary to make that happen. I would rather do these things 
than anything else. Well, Jesus said it this way. Seek first his kingdom. Put those things as priorities in your life that will allow people to come to faith in Jesus and find genuine, real peace. I, I, I think about the, the divisive nature of our world. It's starting to, um, enough that I, I think I've slowed down in watching the news, don't you think, a little bit? Um, I, it just drives me nuts. Every time you turn it on, it's just, it's so much, well, you know that it's on a cycle. I mean, Fox News says that it's, it's like, same, you get all the, the news of the day every 15 minutes guaranteed, and it's like, why would I want to cycle that through and just pound it in my head over and over? Because it doesn't matter what's happening out there because he still is sovereign. And so I've started to slow down and watching all of this stuff and listening. I do try to keep up, but um, but I just think about the divisive nature of our world. I, I think about the struggles that, that people have, must have, you know, driving down through the streets of Viroqua and, you know, they go past this church or they go by that church. It's, you know, it's got this name and that church. We've got a lot of them in Viroqua. And maybe they've been to a restaurant. Maybe they've heard, overheard someone talking about how frustrated they are with their church or with someone in the church. And in the back of my mind, I just, you know, it does happen. And, and I've heard that happen. And in the back of my mind, I just, I wonder how a lost world will ever be convinced that God came in Jesus Christ to reconcile the world to himself when people within the church, when people who are Christians will not do what it takes to live as peace with one another. I wonder. Now that's not targeted on you. In case you're like, so what, what happened? Huh? Seriously. I'm talking about the church here. We don't get along. Not us. The church, you know, the big church. In case you misunderstood what I'm saying. See, the perspective of the psalmist is, I would rather do anything. I will do anything so that people will know the Prince of Peace. I'd rather do those things than anything else. There's a great big building in New York City. It's right here. They call it the United Nations. Uh, it has an inscription on the wall. I, I, I just think that it would be really cool, though, wouldn't it? I mean, just to have the chance to be able to get up in front of the whole United Nations and speak, to preach there. I mean, who? Fat chance, by the way. They don't even have a chapel, I understand. They don't have that. But, I mean, what greater place in, what greater place to reach the whole world just get the whole bunch of them together and preach there. That'd be so awesome. The inscription on the wall says this. You've heard this. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. I believe that this came from, the, I think that the Russians had this put on there. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. comes out of um, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Go ahead and look at that later on. Write that down, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. I mean, it's written right on the side of the building. And, and they, get this, they think that that has to do with peace. 
they think that that has to do with no war. They think that it has to do with, let's just get our heads together and talk, uh, and, and talk and, uh, about not shooting each other anymore. But see, it has nothing to do with that. Read Isaiah chapter 2. It has nothing to do with that. That text from Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4 has, has to do with only one thing. Well, actually, it's not a thing. It's a person. There is one who will bring peace. The kind of peace that changes everything about us. There's only one person who can change the heart of every individual if he's given a chance. His name is Emmanuel. He is the Prince of Peace. And every single Sunday, we come to this table and we uncover those trays and we re it, it just reminds us that there is a peace that passes all understanding that comes from the one place. It comes from one place and one place only. It comes from the presence, the very presence of God. He says, and I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord because he changes everything. Do you know him? The Prince of Peace? Do you walk with him every day? Does he just, does he give you life? Do, is he your friend? Is he your companion? Because he wants to be those things. He simply is waiting for us to let him in, in every area of our, our life. He, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I hope that all of us are so glad that, that we'll do whatever it takes to be here and to be in his presence and worship him, allowing him to shape and to mold our lives, bringing you peace. And as we share in the Lord's Supper together, as we share in that meal, we're reminded.